20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome inside another edition of a Pack a Day Podcast. I will be your host today. My name is Nick Schmitz. You can follow me on Twitter at SportsMitty. Although, as these two gentlemen that will be joining me in a minute here can probably attest to, there's not a whole lot of reason to follow there as I don't use Twitter much. But nonetheless, we will be bringing you more Packers news today. Joining me today is my old co-host, Jacob Westendorf, back on with me again every other Tuesday and joining the podcast full-time moving forward. Uh, One of our draft analysts that we had on during the draft season here, uh, Owen Reese. Owen, welcome to the podcast. We are so glad to have you here. Very happy to have you join us full-time. You'll be joining me and Jacob every other Tuesday moving forward with the Pack-A-Day podcast. So really excited to have have you as part of the team here. So guys, today we're going to be discussing the offensive line and the depth um, at which they added in the draft. I know, um, Owen, you played offensive, uh, was it tackle or guard in college? Guard and center. Guard and center. So you really have, I guess, a lot of um, insight on the Packers' second round draft pick. Um and so let's let's talk then a little bit about the offensive line. I know not everybody loves when you take an offensive lineman high in the draft, and I don't understand why, because you'd think when you have a franchise quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, yes, it's important to get him weapons that he can throw to, but I would also, and I think you guys would agree, that those weapons are pretty much meaningless if he doesn't have any time to throw it to them, um, which we've kind of saw a little bit last year. The offensive line was obviously banged up a little bit, but uh, even from time to time when it was healthy, um, it seemed like he was running more than he was just standing back there, just willing to throw the ball without moving a whole lot. So, And we know that Aaron Rodgers likes to ad-lib, make stuff up on the fly, move around. We know that's part of his game. But um, So I guess we'll start with it, Owen. What did you think of that second-round pick? And just give the listeners an idea of why spending a draft pick high like the Packers did on an offensive lineman is actually a good thing, even if it's maybe not the sexy pick. Yeah, so uh, I was actually really pleasantly surprised when I saw that they picked Elton Jenkins. Um, They typically do not target interior offensive linemen. In particular, uh, a lot of tackles. David Bakhtiari played left tackle in college. I believe Lane Taylor played at one point at tackle. Uh, Corey Lindsley was one of like two non-blindside tackles that the Packers had drafted since like 2005. Uh, so they very clearly have an emphasis emphasis on that position. They signed Billy Turner, who's a former tackle in free agency. Brian Balaga um, is the same thing, played tackle in college. So uh, although Elton Jenkins did start his career at Mississippi State as a tackle, um, had played the last few years inside, and I think that's where he projects in the NFL as well. Uh, I think that for the casual fan, uh, the the it's much easier to identify like a, a dynamic talent or a tangible 
uh, good player at receiver uh, than it is on the offensive line. Uh, obviously, like everyone plays fantasy football and it's very popular. So you love to see the guys on your team score touchdowns and and all that good stuff. But to me, uh, offensive line is pretty much or pretty easily the most misunderstood position in the game. Uh, and it's something that I think, in my opinion, the, the difference between a good offensive lineman and a bad offensive lineman is much bigger uh, than like the receiver quality the Packers have. Uh, so while I know a lot of fans would be like really happy uh, taking a, a high profile receiver or something along those lines, it's going to be more helpful to continue to add offensive line depth uh, than it would have been to add another receiver to the group. I know we talked about this just before we came on the air here. The Packers wide receiver room is very full. I don't know if it's uh, has anyone that stands out other than Devonte Adams, but it is crowded. Uh, so to me, um, you know, a, a team that only a couple years ago had Latroy Guyon finish the NFC Championship game at guard uh, due to the lack of depth on the offensive line. And we've seen, obviously, the last few years as Rodgers has continued to run around. The quality of offensive line play needed to improve uh, for the Packers. And while I understand that fans have read mock drafts for four months and they're so excited that the Packers were going to get some obvious Hall of Famer at 45 that was going to be some receiver or tight end that Aaron Rodgers was going to throw 75 touchdowns to this year. An offensive lineman is going to benefit this team a lot more than the average fan um, can appreciate, I suppose, at 45. Uh, And Elton Jenkins might not even start this year, but how many times a year are Corey Lindsley or Lane Taylor or maybe Billy Turner if he plays right guard or even Balaga or Bakhtiari banged up? Um, So those sixth and seventh offensive linemen are extremely important. And I can tell you that having a very good sixth and seventh offensive lineman compared to a bad one is much more stark than it is having a very good to not so good fourth and fifth receiver. Uh, And I really think that's probably the difference there. So to me, the Elton Jenkins pick made a lot of sense. I was very happy with it. It probably wasn't the sexy name that a lot of fans wanted, or it wasn't, like I said, this, you know, receiver that's going to catch 15 touchdowns a year. Uh, but there's a lot of different intrinsic values there that are going to help Aaron Rodgers uh, improve the quality of the play that the, of the receivers they already have rather than adding further competition to that room that may or may not separate themselves from the three receivers that they drafted a year ago. Yeah, and so – and, and I, I really tend to agree with you on that. I think – you know, it, it's not it's not the fun, sexy, flashy thing, but I think ultimately in the end, it's it's a little bit more important right now to have that. And I want to stick with offensive line here. And Jacob, I, I want to get you to weigh in on this because I, I my sense that I've gathered from Twitter is that you have strong feelings about this, um, and that is the idea that there are many fans out there that are thinking maybe it's time to move on from Brian Balaga because he's you know he he does have a little bit of uh, history with getting hurt, um, but from what I've seen from you, and I, if if this is correct, I, I fully agree with you. Which is saving the money by releasing him. You're actually going to get worse at the position by letting him go. Um, so, can you, Jacob, just quickly address the idea of why it's maybe not the greatest idea for fans to think that we should just let Balaga go this year? Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, there's nobody on this roster that you should feel, like, really good about playing that position if Balaga is not available. So if Balaga's hurt, you know, there are some names that are okay, but none of them at full strength are better than Brian Balaga. Brian Balaga, when he's healthy, 
and that's actually more often than what the casual fan may state. Um, Ross Uglum had a breakdown. It's been a while, but Brian Balaga averages around 75% of the team snaps per year for the last five years. So, yes, he's banged up. He misses some time, but it's not all that much time like people make it out to be. If you're going to tell me that the Packers can have for $6 million a Pro Bowl to all pro level right tackle in Brian Bulaga played 12 out of 16 games, uh, sign me the hell up. Because uh, for $6 million, I mean, look at how many bad offensive linemen get. Hell, I, Billy Turner's not a bad offensive lineman. But is he better than Brian Bulaga? I don't think so, and he got paid $7 million. Not just that, but like I mentioned um, in a tweet relatively recently, if you're going to cut Brian Bulaga, I'm still not on board with that, but in order for it to make sense, you have to do it at the beginning of the offseason to the point where that $7 million in cap space savings actually does something for you now. If you cut him, it's just a save in pocket $7 million and roll it in the next season. With a team that has very clearly said, we are in win-now mode. If you, you cannot be in win-now mode and making moves solely for the purpose of saving money. That doesn't make any sense. They can figure out the rest on that stuff later. Balaga's got to be on the roster, uh, and he's got to be the starting right tackle, I think. And that's the right move. Um, to touch real quick on the Jenkins pick, just one thing to add to what Owen laid out there is – not only does he play the interior and may he not start this year, but you're talking about that sixth and seventh offensive lineman. Corey Lindsley hasn't missed a snap in two seasons. That feels very fortunate, and the Packers don't really have anybody on their roster before the draft that has any business playing center. Uh, Justin McCray, Lucas Patrick, those are some guys that have kind of snapped in the past, but they are not anything... I don't think this should be playing the center position. Jenkins is actually very good um, at that spot and could be a very good fill-in if uh, Corey Lindsley were to miss some time. So I was also happy with that pick. I do know that the the flashier pick, like you mentioned, would have been you know A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, whatever. But it's kind of hard to score touchdowns when the quarterback's on his back. And if you don't believe that, ask Tom Brady when they played the New York Giants. Yeah, that's that's a very good point, and and again, I, that's why I think that like I've never understood because all of last season I saw so many tweets about people complaining about how bad the guard play was, and I just like I don't understand how you tweet and complain about poor guard play, and then when they select a player high in the draft, like that's. It, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I, I do want to go back to Brian Belog, and I want to get both of your guys' take on this uh, because you know I, I have seen a lot of people wanting to move on from Belog, and I'm wondering is it solely because of his injury issues, or is there something deeper within fans right now that want to move on from him? for a reason other than those injuries. I I don't see it beyond the injuries. Injuries would be the only thing to me that would really warrant, like, quote-unquote, considering cutting him, I wouldn't do it for all the reasons that, that, Jacob, that you laid out. But is there something beyond the injuries as to why fans maybe don't want him around in Green Bay anymore. It, it, Owen, do you have any idea beyond injuries of anything of why it, fans would want him gone? I really can't put anything together other than that, no. I mean, I suppose probably on opening night last year, I'm sure there were some pretty hot takes about him getting beat by Khalil Mack, which, like, 
But but, but doesn't everybody get beat by Khalil Mack? Another thing too that the casual fan that I, I, I and I don't mean to like sound condescending or like beat. I, it's fine if you're a casual fan. That's not a big deal. But well, like I said, one of the mis- most misunderstood things is that an offensive lineman can have 65 great plays and two crappy plays. And if one of those was a sack or even worse, a strip sack or whatever else, fans think that he needs to be cut. Whereas the, the, the inverse is that a defensive lineman can have like literally two plays that they get their name called. And then their fans are like, Oh yeah, well they're making plays or, you know, whatever. Kyler Fackerel had 10 and a half sacks. He had like 20 pressures. Like 25 times he did what he was supposed to do on a pass rush play, and 10 and a half of those he got sacks. Like, but then fans are like, oh, yeah, we'll see. We can play Kyler Fackley at 10 sacks. Like, Brian Bulaga is, is, a, is so – they're like the antithesis of if they're not being mentioned, they're doing their job. So the only time they get brought up is when they're not doing their job. And I think probably what the, the problem here has been is that when he has been hurt, which – has been more than I'm sure he or anyone else would like that oftentimes his replacement is not good, which again is a better reason to invest in offensive linemen early in the draft. But the fact remains that like when they bring in, I don't know, Justin McRae or Don Barclay or Jason Spriggs or whoever, whoever the hell else. Yeah. Josh Walker, you know, Billy Bob Ganoush or whoever they want to bring in at, at offensive line, they get beat. Because, like, they're playing in other NFL guys and they're playing, like, undrafted free agents or Jason Spriggs at right tackle. <laughs> so, they're, I mean, they're simply put, it's just not an advantageous spot for the Packers to be in. So, the low-hanging fruit is, oh, yeah, got to replace Blaga. He's never healthy. See how negatively it affects the team. But, like, Ricky Wagner has been hurt a lot for the Lions, too. But you don't hear about the Lions, like, rushing to cut, you know, their – much higher paid than Brian Bulaga, by the way, right tackle. Um, you know, it, it's just a – I think it's I think it's the low-hanging fruit. I think it's an easy topic. It's been a consistent theme over the past few years. I, like like Jacob mentioned, I don't think it's probably quite as bad as what fans think, but when it happens year after year after year, he misses a game, misses two games, then it's a, oh, yeah, well, wasn't he hurt last year? God, he just can't stay healthy. They should cut him and find someone else rather than being like, Brian Bulaga makes less money than, I don't know, $11 million a year less than C.J. Mosley. <laughs> you know, like, it's just uh, Brian Bulaga and Mike Daniels and some of these contracts the Packers have are, like, the best bargains in the NFL. Um, you know, like Mike Daniels. I think Tavon Austin got paid more last year than Brian Bulaga did. You know, so, like, it, I understand the, 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 uh, the intent or – like I get the sentiment, but at the same point, it's it's the the typical situation of don't complain about the problem unless you have a solution. Because just complaining about it and getting rid of it without an, an alternative is pointless or you know it's fruitless. Absolutely, and and Jacob, I mean, for you, are you seeing anything beyond injuries as to why fans want him gone? No, I mean the the foolish idea that maybe we have. Uh, a few guys in the on the roster that can replace him. Like, I mean, there are people that want to count on Cole Madison, who, great, awesome, he's back, cool. Um, he hasn't played football in a year, and we have no idea if he's any good. To me, he also, he also wasn't a good right tackle at Washington State, but that's neither here nor there. 
Right. Yeah, he wasn't a good right tackle there. So, um, or wasn't one. Excuse me. Um, and then you add in the idea that, like, if I were to make a bet, Cole Madison is more likely to be released at the end of training camp than he is to make a significant impact on this roster. Now, it's a nice competition the Packers will have, but Madison projects as a guard. Billy Turner, maybe he's the plan for the future at right tackle, but again, that's the future, 2020. It doesn't make sense to let guys go now. And it's almost like, you know, last year we talked about how, with like Jamal Williams, the smart thing for the fan to talk about was pass blocking and how that was so important oh. for running back. Ugh. And, <laughs> and that got him carries over Aaron Jones, and that was why. Another smart thing, quote-unquote, for fans to talk about is healthy salary caps and salary cap space. And I feel like we are so conditioned as Packers fans over the last 10 years or so with Ted Thompson basically rolling over $10 million in cap space every year. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Packers aren't going to roll over $10 million in cap space this year. So it's almost it's like, well, you know, they only have four or five million dollars in cap space right now so they got to have more than that you know you got to sign kenny clark you've got to sign these guys and it's just like those are all things that they have planned for even with the signing of the smiths adrian amos billy turner name your guys like all that stuff is already planned and thought of it's not like that's rust ball's job every hour of every single day is to know what is going on with the financials so he's got that under control um but yeah otherwise injuries do, do come up and they come up with everybody you know, people don't realize football is a physical game and they almost act like these guys are trying to get hurt when the reality is they're killing themselves for our entertainment. But Belaga's still very good when he's healthy. Uh, I still trust him far and away the most um, of any right tackle option the Packers have at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I I don't, I, again, I, I agree with both of you. Until you have a viable option to replace him, I don't, there's no reason to 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 move on from him but all right well I want to shift gears a little bit we 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 mentioned this a little bit earlier so we we talked about offensive line depth and how important that is to Aaron Rodgers uh, being able to protect him so that he's not running for his life and he's not hurt because he's getting hit all the time. Uh, the flip side is the wide receivers, which it, some people thought was surprising that the Packers didn't draft a single receiver uh, in this past year's draft. Um, I didn't find it all that surprising that they didn't take one, uh, but ESPN, uh, Rob Demonsky, he wrote an article yesterday titled Devontae Adams and Then Who? Questions remain about Packers wide receivers. And basically, the article is about that we all know Devontae Adams is a stud, um, one of the best receivers in the league. But once you move past him, there are, fairly put, a, a lot of question marks Randall Cobb is gone, and they retained Geronimo Allison, and he's looked good, but, you know, is he really a number two? And then you've got all three rookies from last year who, you know, MVS and EQ both showed flashes of, you know, great potential, but they also struggled to get involved from time to time. Um Jamon Moore was very underwhelming, not that he is a bust and can't play, but he's really a massive question mark. And then there's uh, everybody's favorite receiver, Jake Kumaro. Um, I say that facetiously. Um, and, you know, he, 
again, he was great in the preseason. He had the big play against the Jets, but beyond that, didn't really contribute. So you go into the season with Devontae Adams and then who? So I guess my question to you guys is, who should be, what should the pecking order be heading into the season for the Packers wide receiver? And we'll exclude Devontae Adams because we know he's at the top. But when you get from, I'd say, two through five, what should that pecking order look like? And what do you guys think it will look like? Jacob, But where do, where do you see this these receivers filling out week one when they play the Bears? Sure. Uh, I, I think that you know, the, the pecking order should be competition. None of those guys that are on the team, it's not, you know, it's not like when you have the old veteran like Randall Cobb or Jordy Nelson or somebody like that to fill in behind your number one receiver in Devontae Adams. It really is a lot of, I mean, not complete unknowns, but relative unknowns. Geronimo Allison, as much as he has been around, and it feels like he's been around for a really long time, you know, he missed a lot. He's missed a lot of time. Um, and he's really struggled uh, with some injuries, especially last year. Obviously, he was hurt after, I think, the fourth or fifth game of the season. Uh, the other rookies, uh, well, now second year guys, Jamon Moore, you used the term underwhelming. I mean, his rookie season was a wash. He didn't do anything. Uh, and that doesn't mean he can't play, but we know just about nothing about him. MVS, uh, very fast, obviously, capable of making some plays. But, you know, a raw fifth-round pick that probably required some time to get going. And Equinemia St. Brown, kind of the same thing, just a six-round pick instead of a fifth-round pick. What I think is going to happen is that Geronimo Allison is going to emerge as the team's second option, if you will. Um, And I think that, you know, after that, you're going to see kind of a battle early in the season. Valdez-Scantling, St. Brown, uh, kind of working through to see where they fit in this offense and how they can get their targets. I know that um, Matt LaFleur mentioned that he wanted to get bigger and more explosive in the slot. Well, that could mean Devontae Adams, but that also sounds like Equinemius St. Brown. Uh, and it could sound like Marcos Valdez-Scantling too, but it does. MBS seems like the type of player to fit into, if you watch some of the places that LaFleur's been before, Deshaun Jackson. Uh, Santana Moss, some of the players like that in the past, that deep threat who his job is to run straight really fast down the field basically and blow the top off the defense. We know MVS can do that. Uh, it's just a matter of the other ins and outs of everything. Ultimately, by the end of the year, I mean, it's what, May 7th? So if I had to guess, Devontae Adams is going to lead the team in catches barring injury. After that, Wow, it's tough. Um, I know Aaron Rodgers trusts Geronimo Allison. I'm hopeful that part of Matt LaFleur's job as a head coach is to coach that out of him, uh, to coach out of Aaron Rodgers. You trust this guy, so you throw this guy the ball. Um, Which, I mean, some of that's a good thing, obviously, that he expects his receivers to be in the right spots and all that sort of stuff. But here's the open guy. Throw it to him, whether it's 17 on his chest or, you know, 83 in the case of MBS. Uh, when you get to the bottom of that receiver's depth chart, you're really looking at special teams. Uh, you know, another guy, and I've kind of been catching some heat for this, but I will guess those three guys from last year's draft make the roster, uh, Geronimo Allison and Devontae Adams. If they keep a sixth wide receiver, it's a special teams guy. So whether that's Trevor Davis, one of the receivers that they signed, you know, relatively recently, but, 
I think that you know Jake Kumaro is a 28-year-old undrafted free agent. With all due apologies to Touchdown Jesus, but <laughs> just unless there's a significant injury in camp that gives him an opportunity, and that certainly could happen. But again, he's another one of those players I think is more likely to be released than he is to make uh, a significant impact on this Packers team. You're breaking my heart with that prediction there, Jacob. I love, I love me some Jake Kumaro, but um, Owen, I want to, I want to get your take on. You know, we talk about filling this receiver room. And a lot of the times, you know, when we talk about receivers, like obviously your brain jumps directly to wide receiver. But the reality is that with the way the game has evolved, tight ends have been basically, I mean, they signed Jimmy Graham who can't block for his life. I mean, he was literally signed to be like a big, strong receiver, not really an actual tight end. So with Matt LaFleur's offense and his use of tight ends, and I want to commend you because when we talked about the draft, when we talked about tight ends, Noah Fant um, and Oh, who's the other one? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his yeah, name. Hawkinson. Yes, Hawkinson. Yes. Um, we talked about where the Packers could find value later in the draft, and you said Sternberger, and look at where he's at right now. So, I also said Darnell Savage could end up in the first round, but we're not going to talk about that at a different time. <laughs> we're, we're focusing on the offense here. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so does that – I mean – and and I thought it was interesting because when Jacob, uh, when you mentioned that, you know, if the Packers keep a sixth wide receiver, it would more than likely be a special teams player. And I guess I've always been conditioned to think that, well, duh, you keep six receivers just for injury sake. But with the tight ends that they have, I guess, Owen, oh, they're not necessarily locked into keeping six receivers if they don't want to. They could use those tight ends and... I, I mean, how do you do you foresee the Packers utilizing multiple tight ends like on a consistent basis instead of maybe going just pure wide receiver with one tight end? Yeah, and I think so. Like Matt Lafleur was in Tennessee last year, right? And they had Delaney Walker, and they had Jonu Smith, and they had Luke Stocker. And I'm really going to push myself to try and think of Tennessee's fourth tight end last year. But I would be surprised if the Packers don't keep four tight ends. Uh, so then if you're that – because at that point, do you keep six receivers? Because that's literally a fifth of your – almost a fifth of your game day or your 53-man roster just on receivers. Um, it'll be interesting because obviously we talked about Jimmy Graham. Uh, Jay Sternberger is a third-round pick. He's obviously making the roster. They, saw, they brought back Mercedes Lewis, who – I think will remain as like the only true blocking tight end on the roster. Uh, and that's someone like that Tennessee had last year in Luke Stocker, which is a very much, he's not on the team to catch passes. You're either your offensive line six, you're there to block, you're the inline guy. So with those three, and then I would assume Robert Tanyan uh, is at least in the running. If they don't keep him and take a sixth receiver and only carry the three tight ends and so be it. But I think Tanyan pushing for time last year. And I think, kind of being a fan favorite uh, on Twitter, but I think his skill set is similar to Jay Sternberger, another former college receiver that's put on weight to play tight end. Excuse me. Uh, I I think that they would make a lot of sense there to have the four tight ends. So then you're talking, you're right, and that you're in the receiving room, you know, Devontae, Geronimo, the three picks from last year. Jake Kumro is older than me, bro. Like, he was older than me in college when I was in college. Um playing at Whitewater. So 
between he and then, um, you know, Trevor Davis has been seemingly on the roster bubble since he entered the league. Uh, and, and he's flashed at times, but uh, I, I'm very curious to see where they go with that. And I think that that's a, a choke point there where that sixth receiver or fourth tight end, I think that's going to be something to, to monitor closely because I think that's something that that's one of those spots that it's going to come down to that. We're either going to keep an extra receiver or a fourth tight end uh, just simply as a numbers game. So it'll be curious to see where they prioritize that. If Lafleur wants a similar, if that was Lafleur or John Robinson in Tennessee that really wanted to keep the four tight ends, uh, and and to to see what they do at receiver moving forward. So do do you think that there's any possibility that they do take six receivers and keep all four tight ends, or do you not foresee that as a possibility? It depends what they want to do at certain other spots. Like I I think if they keep four tight ends and six receivers, I think then you're probably cutting it pretty short on linebackers because you're still going to need your D linemen and secondary guys. I would assume they'll only keep two quarterbacks again on the roster, but that's another spot. And then running back as well. I think that if you keep four tight ends, uh, there's the potential that you don't have a fullback or you only have the three running backs. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they play that. I haven't done a, a roster. I haven't drawn one up or to, to kind of play with the numbers or see where those uh, those questionable spots are. But that's kind of what you, it's, it turns into a numbers game. And if you keep the extra guys on offense, you're probably cutting linebackers or special team guys like James Crawford or or you're banking on guys like Natrell Jamerson uh, and Trey Matthews, these defensive backs that they seemingly like enough to to bring along into the offseason that they can sneak them back onto a practice squad again, um, you know, to, to keep that, that 63-man or whatever their pool how they want it uh, because I think you're probably going to be pushing it pretty close if you keep 10 receivers. And, and Jacob, so quickly before we wrap up here, with the Packers having those four tight ends and then what we would assume would be the five locked-in receivers that you had mentioned, do, do you, as as someone looking at Lafleur and his offense, do you want to see five wide receivers with four tight ends, or would you prefer to see them do kind of their traditional six and three? Well, not to give the bogus-ass typical Ted Thompson answer, um, but, I mean, I want them to take the best players. And if that means, like, if Robert Tanyan is more valuable to the roster as the fourth tight end than Trevor Davis, for example, as the sixth wide receiver, then keep Robert Tanyan. Like, there's a million Trevor Davises that you can find, a dude who can run really fast in a straight line and maybe return some kicks. They just claimed two guys this week off of waivers, I think, that are return specialists. So there are guys you can find that way. Something else, you know, I know Owen was talking about, um, you know, the receiver and tight end relationship and cutting of linebackers. And something else is Mike McCarthy typically only kept nine offensive linemen and with Lafleur kind of moving to a new style and some guys that – like Elton Jenkins isn't a projected starter at this point, just for example. I think there's a possibility they keep 10 offensive linemen uh, on this roster as well if they play well in the camp and kind of have a full slate like that. That, I think, is a certain possibility. And then when you do that, obviously you're cutting from another position. To answer your question specifically, though, about receivers and tight ends, yeah, I mean, I do think it's possible – that they keep six receivers and four tight ends. 
and I again, like I said, I would imagine that sixth receiver is for special teams purposes. But either way, they're going to take the best players in the camp. And you can hear, you know, with Mike McCarthy, especially towards the end of his tenure, the we want to compete every down and all that sort of just the competition phrases they used. It felt like lip service. Uh, with Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, they are echoing the same message of competition at every level, competition at every position, and competing in every day and every practice. And that's something that, albeit I, I'm not the biggest fan of him or his team, but it's something I've always admired about the way Pete Carroll runs the Seahawks, is there was living, breathing proof of that in Seattle when they sign a high-level or high-level, high-dollar quarterback in Matt Flynn, they draft Russell Wilson in the third round, and Russell Wilson outplays him and starts. Now, I'm not saying Deshaun Kaiser is going to play over Aaron Rodgers or something like that if he outplays Rodgers in the preseason because he should. There's more reps there. But I do think that you know, the competition level is going to be much higher. This is a competitive camp, and you can see with the way they're looking to go towards other teams and everything too. So, like, they're having those joint practices and everything like that. I think this is going to be a different camp. It's definitely a different era in Green Bay. So take the best players and go from there. And then one thing, if I can just jump in quick, I think the other thing too, and we were kind of talking about this, Jamon Moore uh, is, I think, probably an X factor, right? Because we're talking about that receivers at the end of the end of the depth chart being special teams guys. Jamon Moore, if he isn't uh, markedly better or, or at least uh, making it, tough to keep him off the field on special teams or something. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they try to practice squad him again, uh, because he's a guy that seemingly was, was rawer maybe than they expected uh, as a prospect coming out of Missouri with that system. They only line up on one side of the field and they run like three routes. Um, so, I mean, it's that, that could be another thing where if they keep five receivers, it's because they keep Trevor Davis as a fifth as a return guy. And, someone to play receiver and then they, they sneak in another offensive lineman or sneak in another tight end and try to stash Jamon Moore again. Uh, so I think his, it's kind of nut cut in time for him, I think, because he could either find his way on the roster or he could find his way in the periphery again, pretty quickly. And that'll be something to, to monitor through the preseason as well. All right. Well, great stuff, guys. We are out of time for the day here, but, uh, Great doing this podcast with you guys. Jacob, it's fun working with you again. Owen, it's great to continue to get to work with you. We're glad that you're part of the team now full-time. We're really looking forward to that. So, um, well, there you go. Off it. on both accounts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you, Jacob. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, like I said, that's all the time we have for the day. Uh, we're going to wrap up here. Make sure you tune in tomorrow for Steve, Dusty, and Sarah. Um, I have no idea what they'll be talking about, but they'll be bringing you all the latest and greatest in Packer news. So, And uh, uh, quickly before we close here, uh, Owen, uh, I know you're on Twitter. Uh, how can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at ReeseDraft, R-I-E-S-E. It's my last name. It's also very original as a Twitter handle. So that's where you can find me. Um, it, I'm generally uh, being an angry old man, uh, yelling at people to get off my lawn and uh, trying to preach to the abyss how important offensive line depth is. So, All right. And, and Jacob, how can people follow you on Twitter? Well, my Twitter handle is even more original. It's my full name. It's at Jacob Westendorf. And... I'm on there 
for as much as Nick isn't on there, that's how much I am on there. Uh, and today I, I joined Owen in yelling at people about the the perils of not liking ranch dressing, and I do not appreciate Man. the sorts of takes. So that was so bad. But, um, yeah, I'm on there. And then you can find, if writing-wise, uh, Dairyland Express through Fansided. I've been doing some stuff for them uh, recently, and we'll see if anything else uh, comes up here between now and then. But, yeah, uh, I'm on there all the time. Uh, come for the football stuff. Now I'm talking a lot about baseball because it's baseball season, so I apologize if you're not a baseball fan. But I am tweeting more about the Milwaukee Bucks. So Hell yeah. Dear, dear. Dear, dear. All right, all right. So I, I got to ask before we wrap. So you guys were arguing about ranch dressing. Is this like a pro-con thing or, or what? Oh, oh, said awesome. that, yeah, he said that ranch is bad and it belongs in the trash with sour cream, and I about swung at my phone. Yeah, like, and I believe there was an expletive or two that Owen used, and I appreciated him. I said that that is not my off-season partner podcast podcast partner, and I do not know who he is. So Ross is on my uh, list for now. All right, so so you guys are both very pro ranch. Hundred percent, absolutely. How can you not be? But I well, I just I, I mean I, I I like I'm one of those people. I like ranch on certain things, but not everything. So I don't know. Like ranch on pizza, like I don't understand that, but very good. You should try it. Yes, it also, is. the audacity to throw sour cream in there as well, unappreciated. <laughs> sour cream and onion chips. I, I'm and not, the hell yeah, Ross, Ross and I aren't talking right now. Yeah, how the hell do you eat tacos without sour cream? Like. Well, well, so basically what I've gathered from this is if you guys aren't following uh, Owen and Jacob on Twitter, you definitely should be now after this because I can only imagine how much fun it would be to go and look at this and read this. So, oh, two former offensive linemen talking about food. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> two of the biggest passions right there. So. All right. Well, so make sure you give both of them a follow. Maybe if you don't like ranch dressing, maybe just don't say anything about it to them. But, uh, they're, they're they're great followers on Twitter. That they'll be they'll be keeping you up to date on all the latest Packer stuff. So make sure you do that. We are out of time for the day. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, go Pack Go. Showing a blitz, and here they come. Bethard looking. Hit as he throws it deep down the right sidelines. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the touchdown. Oh, he reached back to gather it in. Using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumble out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Yes, Mason Crosby delivers a dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five, 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap, Ryan, looks right, throws right side, and intercepted to the house, Bishaw Freeland, touchdown, Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return.
seven Packers. Rodgers looks it over. Takes the snap. Blitz on. They pick it up. Lost they got him. They got him. Single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers, who ducks it under center. From the 29 of Green Bay, and here's the handoff up the middle. Big ball, straight ahead. It is Aaron Jones, off to the races, to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, down the left sidelines, and he's out of bounds. Inside the 10 of the 5-yard line of Miami. Aaron Jones with a burst, 67 yards. Third and six, trailing 30-23, to 23, two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking, throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Touchdown! Yes! Devontae Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass, the Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied.